We continue our sermon series in this season of Lent, Jesus' vision for your one wild and precious life. And whereas most weeks we've been looking at one idea, one teaching, today we look at two that are considered the essential Jesus. This is a reading from Matthew 15, starting at verse 30. Great crowds came to Jesus, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the maimed, the mute, and many others. They put, him, put them at his feet, and he cured them, so that the crowd was amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for the crowd because they've been with me for now three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in the desert to feed so great a crowd? Jesus asked them, how many loaves have you? They said, seven and a few small fish. Then ordering the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all of them ate and were filled, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Those who had eaten were 4,000 men besides women and children." I think some of you have heard me talk about the coffee and conversation group that we gather together every once in a while on a Monday morning. We meet at Homer's over there in downtown Overland Park. And for the first, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes, we just chat, catch up on life. But then I throw out a question for the day. Every time, different question, just, you know, a question for us to wrestle with. It was about a year ago, and the question for the day had coffee in the topic. And it wasn't decaf or regular or coffee versus hot tea, none, none of that. It was this question, if you had coffee with Jesus once a week for six months to a year, what would be your biggest takeaway? I still think that's a fascinating question. I mean, if, if you had coffee with Taylor Swift or Tiger Woods once a week for a year, I'm guessing you'd have stories to tell your friends. You'd say, this is what he, she is all about. But what if it were Jesus? What would be your takeaway? So I threw out the question, took a sip of my hot tea, which is my vote, and then said, so what do you think? And they surprised me because instead of starting into the question, they asked a clarifying question. Are we back in Jesus' day having coffee, or is he in our day? And I thought, that's a really good question. And the answer is always now. Now and today. Yes, Christianity is this 2,000-year-old faith. Jesus lived a long time ago, far away. But the Christian faith is always being interpreted and translated for today. When this church was founded... About the very same time it was founded, a famous preacher in New York City, Harry Emerson Fosdick, wrote an essay for Harper's in which he said, nobody goes to church to find out about the Jebusites. Let that sink in. You, you know who the Jebusites are? 
No, of course not. Well, they were just one of those ancient tribes that lived in the land alongside the Israelites. In other words, it felt like trivia. People are interested in what does the gospel mean for today? So once I clarified that we were talking about having coffee with Jesus today, it was a pretty interesting conversation. Personally, I have never had coffee with John Dominic Crossan, although I kind of feel like I do, or I have, because I've read everything the man wrote. He's a brilliant New Testament scholar, and one of his books, I saw it in the library the other day, is called The Essential Jesus. He says, we may not have records of people who had coffee with him, but we've got the next best thing. It's almost like he said we have video footage. And what he means is not just the Gospels, but early Christian artwork. What did the people who hung around him, what did they portray in the artwork that would say something about who they thought he was? And Crossan says it's very obvious. Two things stand out, healing and feeding. And here in Matthew's gospel, in less than 10 verses, we get it again, healing and feeding. If you had coffee with Jesus once a week for a year, I guarantee you, you'd talk about how he was always healing people and feeding people. It's, it's his passion. Now, of the two, let's face it, healing seems a little bit daunting. I don't know how to multiply bread, but I do know where to buy it in the store, and I know where hungry people are. But healing? That, that, that's the work for doctors and nurses and Mayo Clinic. But thankfully, medical scholars and biblical scholars agree. There needs to be a distinction made between healing and curing. Curing is the work of medical professionals. They seek to cure illness. But healing, they note, is the work of attending to the social needs that come along with the illness. Here's the way I've been thinking about it. Every Tuesday when we have staff meeting, Reverend Pam, she brings the list of pastoral concerns, congregational concerns, people in the hospital or in hospice, those who've been discharged, those who are at home sick. And it's a long list, some weeks longer than others. And you would see, if you read it, you would see things like an appendectomy, or a miscarriage, or a heart valve replacement, kidney failure. I mean, it's a long list, right? And not a one of us around that table can do a thing about any of it. We're not doctors. But what those illnesses lead to, things like loneliness and isolation and anguish and financial struggles, that's the work of healing. You don't have to go to med school to help heal, to bring comfort to those who are hurting. So Jesus restores these people to wholeness. And then he looks out and he realizes, I'm not sure they've had enough to eat. And we've read the story. Before you heard it, he's going to feed them right there in the wilderness, thousands of people. This is the only miracle Jesus does that's in all four Gospels. It's the only one. That should tell us something. And if that's not enough, in Matthew and Mark, he does it twice. Six versions of Jesus feeding people. We only have four versions of the resurrection. At some point, we're probably supposed to go, huh, I think we're supposed to be feeding people. 
And there's this fascinating little detail in this version and all the others, as I recall. But first, let me tell you a story. For 10 years or more, I delivered leftover bread from Panera, the one near our house, to different food ministries in the city. Our son, it was his first job working at Panera, and he came home one night and said, you're not going to believe how much bread they throw away every night. So I went, talked to the manager. I signed up for Tuesday nights. After closing, I would load up box after box and big bags of bread, hundreds of pounds, into my car. And early on Wednesday morning, for years, I took it to City Union Mission downtown. And then for another set of years, I took it to a food pantry at a disciples congregation in North Kansas City. One time, one time, unloading it at the church, these ladies approached me and said, could we please have some bread? Well, of course, I said, let's open it up. And I gave away the bread. And it was so different from what I had been doing. You can, you can underwrite and fund a feeding ministry, and it matters. And you can drive bread around town, and it matters. But there's nothing like handing it to the hungry. It's just so powerful. That's why I was so encouraged this week to learn that Micah Ministry, our feeding ministry that we partner with every Monday night, well, for years now because of COVID, they've been standing outside and given a box. But before COVID and they're returning to this, they're going to be able to come back in and sit down and you get to wait on them. It is such a powerful thing. Healing and feeding are so obvious right here on the page. What's not so obvious is that the empire of Rome's fingerprints are all over it. The emperor of Rome dined very well with all of his cronies. But the masses, the overwhelming masses of people, because of Rome's taxation policies and malnutrition, they suffered they were hungry and poor and ill. And Jesus looks out on that. And if you want to know what he feels, watch the news out of Gaza. Last Sunday night, maybe some of you, I watched 60 Minutes that had an update on what's going on in Gaza. And it hurt so bad. My body actually felt it. I watched this Palestinian woman with her sick child rocking back and forth in a bombed-out hospital and screaming, just screaming. And I watched the interview with a doctor who said, we are now doing surgeries without anesthesia. And she mentioned how many people are dying needlessly because they've run out of supplies. And I watched those lines of women and children, mostly women and children, some men with their various containers waiting for a big plop of the whatever it was they were serving. And a couple days later, I read in the New York Times about this woman in Gaza who has now resorted to mixing cornstarch and water and her family's living on that. It hurts. It hurts to watch it. This is not exactly a spoiler alert because the book we're reading for Lynn is not a novel, right? But I'm going to say something about how it ends. After the whole project was over, two things for me stood out. And both of them are good Jewish teaching because Jesus was a Jew. And they're pretty interesting. The one is that 
we are invited, encouraged to enjoy the things of the next life even now. To feast on good food and good wine even now. But at the very same time, Judaism says, and we are called to repair the world, to address the injustice. And boy, keeping those in tension, it's really hard work. Some Christians, they're so caught up in Jesus back then or heaven in some future, but now matters. Bodies matter. This moment matters. But keeping him in tension. So years before I was on staff here, my wife and I got involved in Micah ministry. Uh, Daryl and Sharon Cantrell that ran it at the time, she'd been one of my students in the seminary. They invited us, and we got involved. We didn't go every week, but we went a lot. And it, it's an amazing thing. Picture these people all seated down. You, you get a, a, a tray or a, a, a plate, spaghetti, green beans, salad, whatever the menu is that night. You take it to them sitting down. A little while later, would you like seconds? Sometimes, if you're lucky, you get to push the dessert tray around. Would you like a piece of pie, some cake? And sometimes you go around asking, do you need socks or underwear? And that's healing. And then afterwards, you know, everybody cleans up. And then we kind of fell into this habit of with a few of the folks, we'd go to El Patron over on Southwest Boulevard and have street tacos, margarita or two, and just catch up on life. Did you know you could run into Jesus in both those places? That was going to be the last line of the sermon. And it was until Friday, the middle of the night. Because I'd had a conversation with someone at the auction, and it just kept kind of going around in my mind. It's true that Judaism and Christianity, at, at its best, does call us to celebrate and feast and to repair the world. But what I started thinking about was, what if that's just the lowest bar? What if that's like, yeah, you, 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 you got to do that, but, but what if Jesus' vision is more extravagant? <laughs> what if it's more generous? What if, what if Jesus envisions us sitting at table with the sick and the hungry? Or what if Jesus envisions us repairing the world so that the poor, they have a table at, at the Mexican place, and we're sitting there too. I mean, if we were having coffee, I guess the question for the day would be, just how radical a vision does Jesus have for this one wild and precious life? 